And we're recording. Hello, everyone. How are you today? How about you, oh. Martin? Oh, okay. You kind of left there a pause there. Yeah, I usually kind of just wait for you to interject after I say hello, uh, everyone. Well, hello there, everybody. Uh, we've got some cool content for you today. Some sad, some bad, and some very glad, but we'll be here all day. Or at least for the next couple hours. Have you ever noticed that I like talking in rhymes? Yes, you're very good at it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm good at it, but because anybody can talk in rhymes, it's just I don't know, but nobody, not everybody can flow. <laughs> That's exactly my point. I can't flow. <laughs> like, like I said earlier before we were recording, you know how like Ben Shapiro will read off the lyrics to you know Cardi B's song WAP. And there's obviously no flow, but he's technically rhyming, except when he's like technically censoring. Rhyming, yeah. But he's censoring what? himself too. But no, it's not just about rhyming. You gotta have flow. And if you don't have flow, you're gonna sound, your sound is gonna blow. See? You got no flow, you cannot go. See, I'm not very good with flowing. <laughs> I just don't, I don't have well, it in Listen me. to the masters like the great Rakim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was listening to some of that before you came on. Oh, really? What were you listening oh, to? Oh, yeah. Uh, one of his songs called Juice, Know the Ledge. Spell Know the Ledge together. There you go. What's that spell? Ju- Wait, spell what? Put the w- So make the words Know the Ledge into one word. What's that spell? Get rid of the blank spaces. Oh, yeah. knowledge. <laughs> okay, I get it. Yeah. Well, yeah, Rakim is pretty cool. He's a genius. He's the greatest of all time, probably. Okay, I understand, I understand, and I overstand. Yeah, that's terrible. I don't like that. Yeah, that was absolutely fucking god awful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what what's understand? Understand? Um, you said stand. I. It's kind um, of like understand. Well, let me. <laughs> it's kind of like another way of saying understand. Uh, okay. Is that recognized by the Oxford Dictionary? Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. Hmm. But the Oxford Dictionary is not the prescriber of how we get to use words. So, understand. What does understand mean? And this is definitions.net. Stand in something. Also, stand in a situation. Do you understand? If you do understand, then you stand (laughs) under this knowledge to be able to agree to what is stated. So, therefore, you understand, a.k.a. stand in by applying it to be able to overstand it, a.k.a. stand over which is wisdom about what is stated. Dude, all I got to say to one flip, one fish, two blue fish. You ever seen this in society? What is it? What drinking your juice in the hood? Uh, nah. Oh my God. There, well, it's a parody of all those hood movies in the early 90s and 
Kings. Mm-hmm. And there's this dude in prison, Muslim dude, Nation of Islam dude in prison. He's trying to talk all this knowledge to the dude who's in prison. He says, one fish, two fish, blue fish more. I'll pull it up for you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like That's a, a funny l- ass movie. I'm pretty sure there's like a lot of Nation of Islam dudes who will use like Innerstand. Um, Overstand is just a different one, but... <laughs> Sounds like a country, Overstan. I think Overstan's used mostly by Rastas, but I don't really know for sure. Oh, hmm. Well, they're pretty cool, though, so that's awesome. Rastas are cool. I was listening to some reggae today, man. Oh, yeah? What did you you listen to? Oh, um, shoot. It was on Pandora. uh, Betty McLean, Dennis Brown, Bob Marley, um, Gregory Isaac, that kind of stuff. Yeah, some cool shit, man. I like a long time ago. I had like a big reggae face where it's just it would take up like ninety percent of what I would listen to is just reggae music. And well, so- the best music, man, I think is the music of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. That's why I think hip hop is so important to America. That's why Ben uh, Benny Benny. As R.M. Brown would call him, is an asshole for saying rap isn't music. Benny Shepperino? Benny. Well, he calls him Benny Papino. Benny Papino? Yeah, that is another <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that tweet you just sent me. <laughs> and... Is that not the most, was that like not racist? I mean, oh, the oh. most racist thing? Oh, he said plenty of other racist shit, <laughs> but not just towards black people. I mean, you should. He's basically called Arabs animals and shit, too. Mm. See, yeah. I'd fight you for that, because I know Arabs. Yeah. Some Arabs, and there's excellent, cool people. Yeah, but basically the the tweet in question, it's kind of an older one, but uh, it's the one where Ben Shapiro says, if you wear your pants below your butt, don't, but don't bend the brim of your cap and have an EBT card, 0% chance you will ever be a success in life. And someone so eloquently uh, responded, do you know any black people outside of Southern strategy stereotypes? And of course, the man responding to him is also a black man, too. So that's probably the first interaction that Ben Shapiro has ever had with a black person. Well, it's funny to me because it's like success in life. Like, dude, you were handed a fucking radio station or internet station, like, yeah, by... He- by- fucking oil money he's basically a born rich kid private schools and everything and so like reagan becoming governor of california he was basically handed it by an organization that said yeah come here we'll fund you completely yeah yeah ridiculous but yeah we're not also we're not really here just to talk about ben shapiro we're also we're gonna talk about a uh uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours and a post that they left on your Facebook. Oh, yeah. And by the way, folks, this is just the introduction to part three. Was it part three of our topic today, which we'll get in. That's right. We will be getting into shortly more of the history of the Puritans, the Pilgrims and the Plymouth Colony. Oh, yeah. And we had it, man. We had a freaking great discussion last week i mean you cornbread you blew my freaking mind when you talked about liberty and culture 
And uh, I can't wait to write all this, man, in terms of, because you know me, I, I have a lot of notes for a podcast that I write. I appreciate that. I feel like I could have done much better with the whole discussion about liberty, because it's not, I mean, there's different ideas and ways to conceive liberty, um, but I think I could have articulated well, last week's stuff much better. Well, no, you kind of hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, because when we talk about even the modern United States of America, one one reason why there's so much uh, dissension is, as you said, people are defining liberty in a minutely narrow context. Liberty for one person doesn't mean liberty for the other person. Liberty for, for example, the person who sent me um, this, what we're going to to liberty means probably the right to own guns <laughs> but yeah. liberty in somebody else's case may be well i don't want the government intruding on my reproductive rights so right yeah so with that said let's uh let's describe for the audience what this very <laughs> thoughtful until this very thought-provoking right. post is so mm -hmm. Uh, as some of you in the audience are probably familiar, there is a tendency among right-wing people, specifically older right-wing people, uh, aka boomers, to share things on social media, such as Facebook, that are basically these made-up stories that have some kind of, like, moral argument, but typically it's just gobbledygook. Uh, so usually it'll be like, you know... A story about an old man and he is flying the American flag in, you know, his front lawn. And then a lesbian uh, who <laughs> has dyed hair goes up to the old man and tells her, tells him to take it down and that he's a baby killer or whatever. And she also has feminist written on her T-shirt. And then the old man owns her like, <laughs> well, I fought in Korea. And then like she gets fucking humiliated and owned. And the, the moral of the story that the person is trying to communicate is to respect veterans or some shit like that. Yeah. And, you know, those old people get hard ons when they read that shit. It's yeah. like they're porn or something. Yeah, but this guy is not because he's a mutual acquaintance. He is he's not that old. He's like what? Oh no. How Oh, yeah, this gentleman um probably in his early 40s. Yeah, yeah. And no disrespect to old people by the way. Um or I people, love my grandma, my yeah. grandpa. I love our mutual friend at uh, work, work. Yeah. So, no I disrespect. Yeah. Back. I try not to indulge in the whole generational war bullshit yeah. because every, I mean we got a lot to learn from those above us, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, just wisdom. like just like we also have much to learn from those even younger than us. Um, but this guy in particular typically has like the mindset of a very confused right wing old man. Um, so much so that he felt compelled to share this to your timeline here. So, oh yeah. So, what are we gonna call him? Mm. Uh, let's mm -hmm. let's call him Bob. Bob. He's just okay. Bob. He's he looks like a Bob. Bob. Oh, okay. All right. So Bob, right? Um, so Bob is Facebook poster 
where he posts like other people's shit, like memes, uh, this bullshit he sent me, etc. So no, there's no original thought, right? There's no critical thinking. Whew. All right, so this post was sent to me yesterday in the morning. And uh, first of all, it's a picture. It looks like a, it's a picture of a white, I believe, Corvette. I'm not a car guy. I believe it's a white Corvette outside of a gas station time. It looks like a parking lot. Yeah. It look, well, it looks like it's about to get robbed. <laughs> yeah. It's, it looks like a very... Wait, what the fuck? This looks like a very vulnerable looking Corvette. If this there looks ever like was. something from that you see on the first... Right before a murder. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those plants, you know, like the cops will go into like a neighborhood or whatever and they'll leave like an unlocked car that's like brand new to, to entrap oh, somebody. Yeah, entrapment, yeah. Yeah, this freaks of entrapment. But anyway, we're looking at a car in a parking lot here. A white yeah. Corvette. And, um, the, and of course, this is a Bob... You know, this isn't his post. This is somebody else's post that he sends to me. So, Bob, um, okay, here's the first couple sentences. Well, I like your voice when you read. You oh, do you want this me in to? the voice? Uh, yeah, you're funny when you read this kind of stuff. Okay, would you, would you like me to do it in the cadence of our acquaintance <laughs> or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. <laughs> I'm going to make it, but <laughs> I will try. Uh, after Literally before even recording, I told Martin that I would strive to be less petty and catty in these episodes. Well, but... no, I'll do it in, like, uh, the way you, like, uh, like when when you were talking about the example earlier. Okay, I will, I'll just enunciate clearly. How about that? Oh, okay. All right. <clears throat> Here we go, audience. <laughs> a man named Tom Nicholson posted this on his Facebook account. The sports car that he had just bought and how a man approached and told him that the money used to buy this car could have fed thousands of less fortunate people. His response to the man oh. <laughs> made him famous on the internet. Really? I've never fucking heard of this guy before. Tom Nicholson? Why you do that? I'm going to look up this guy. <laughs> yeah. Nicholson. <laughs> Read his story as stated on Facebook below. A guy looked at my Corvette the other day and said, Oh, oh I had to, I lost my place here. <clears throat> A guy looked at my Corvette the other day and said, I wonder how many people could have been fed for the money that sports car cost. I replied, I'm not sure. It fed a lot of families in Bowling Green, Kentucky, who built it. Bullshit. <laughs> no, <laughs> cars aren't built here anymore. Uh, it fed the people who make the tires. It fed the people who made the components that went into it. It fed the people in the copper mine who mined the copper for the wires. It fed people in at Caterpillar who make the trucks that haul the copper ore. It fed the trucking people who hauled it from the plant to the dealer and fed the people working at the dealership and their families. But, dot, 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 <laughs> I have to admit, 
I guess I really don't know how many people it fed. That is the difference between capitalism and the welfare mentality. When you buy something, you put money in people's pockets and give them dignity for their skills. When you give someone something for nothing, you rob them of their dignity and self-worth. Capitalism is freely giving your money in exchange for something of value. No, it's not. Socialism is having the government take your money against your will and give it to someone else for doing nothing. I think this is well written and well thought out. If you agree, please send it to your friends. If you don't agree, just delete it and have a nice day. And that's or send it to your buddy, Cornbread, and make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Wow. Do, do you feel intellectually stimulated, our dear audience? Do you feel morally rejuvenated after having listened to a narration of the story? This parable that surely Jesus Christ himself would have told the apostles in the Gospels. In fact, there's probably a Gospel that has yet to be discovered where this exact same story is told by Jesus to the apostles that capitalism is freely giving your money in exchange for something of value and socialism is having the government take your money against your will and give it to someone else for doing nothing. So is socialism then like me paying my landlord or <laughs> or like farmers getting government subsidies or like what is socialism then uh and second uh this is not what capitalism i'm per- no, did God, adam no. smith is this something that adam smith has ever said capitalism is freely giving your money in exchange for something of value is that if you something? freely give your money or you're not going to be rich i mean come on yeah, I don't think, you know, I don't think that's how uh, guys like Adam Smith or Karl Marx, who actually was mostly writing about analyzing capitalism, uh, described <laughs> capitalism. Uh, I'm pretty sure... But Tom Nicholson knows. <laughs> Tom, this Tom Nicholson, who is famous. Did you ever find this Tom Nicholson? I with Tom Nicholson, and I see nothing but, like, writers and actors, and that's Wha- it. Wow. So they just a man named Tom Nicholson posted on his Facebook account this incredible story. It's very, very great story that is not at all stupid and mine rotting. And like the fucking people in the copper mine who mine the copper for wires. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> They're making pennies on the dollar. Well, yeah, let's let's do a little Googling real quick. Um, where does most of our copper come from? Where does most copper come from? Oh, gosh. Where does most of the world's copper? Chile. Chile, the world's leading oh. copper producer by far, produced an estimated 5.7 million metric tons of copper uh, in 2020. In second place, Peru, where an estimated copper mine production of 2.2 million metric tons in the same year is mined. Yeah. Hey, you know what's fucked up about that? When oh. the Spanish colonized those areas, they forced the indigenous people to slavery to mine that copper. I mean, it's all based on exploitation. Gold, silver, other metals, yeah. but primarily gold and silver 
But at the turn of the Industrial Revolution, when copper was kind of being, you know, more useful. Um, yeah. And the world's third largest copper producer from mines is China. <laughs> so I wonder what is the life of freedom, China? <laughs> yeah. What is the the life of a copper miner? Like, I wonder the life of a copper miner. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. I'm sure they have great jobs. Uh, great benefits, too. Yeah, I'm sure it's very safe. I'm sure it's not miserable, uh, especially in countries that are very neoliberal, like Chile and Peru, um, <laughs> that export to places like the United States. And yeah, and the governments are were set up by the United States. Yeah, um, it kind of sucks, actually. To be capitalist shitholes. Yeah. I wonder why people want to come to the United States of America. <laughs> yeah. When's the last time you have ever met a fucking copper miner? Throw away my pennies. <laughs> yeah. Throw away my pennies. I'm like, well, what's the point of a penny? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> or, I mean, obviously copper it's is... the only extreme. copper I know of, yeah. Well, I mean, copper is used in, like, a whole bunch of essential yeah. products and shit. But let's let's be real. If you're living in a country like Chile or Peru or China, and you're a copper miner, you're probably not living in the lap of luxury. <laughs> you're probably yeah, also... You're getting exploited. Not only that, your health is probably on the line, too. Yeah. As a, it is a very physically toxic form of work being in a fucking copper mine so i don't i'm I'm gonna question that sentiment that you know this man's money is directly paying the people who made that go I'm, I'm feeling that's a little sus uh it fed the people let's see it fed the people who made the components that went into it are you sure about that um it fed the people who make the tires it may it fed a lot of families in Bowling Green, Kentucky, who built it, which where where are Corvettes built actually? I don't know. I don't ever want a sports car. That's the thing to me. Like, why would you want an expensive sports car? Oh, it's actually yeah. Bowling Green Assembly is the only plant in the world that builds Corvettes. Is that why they're so expensive? Look, I don't. You could take all the muscle cars and shove them up your ass. I. Interesting. Huh. Speed cars or whatever. I'm like, I'm not like I can get a car, a Honda Civic for twenty thousand dollars. Right. Like one of my buddies pays five hundred dollars a month for his challenger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what we're talking about. Oh God. My buddy, yeah, he's my buddy. You're you're not cool with him, but anyway, <laughs> but I'm like, man, five hundred dollars a month, that's worth it but that but hey man it's america right it's free to spend his money how he wants uh, it, it is unless unless the government wants to take it away <laughs> uh man wonder how he feels about taxes no i don't know i'd never talk to him about that kind of stuff yeah i wonder how he would feel if he had to pay like directly out of pocket to fund the roads <laughs> that he drives his car on <laughs> um or anything like that Gosh, I don't want to do that. 
Again, I'm trying I'm trying to be less petty, but fuck, this is hard. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that bothers me about this post Well, we can well, we can attack the the <laughs> ideology, not the people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Attack the arguments, not the people. Yeah. And I I will also get that into that shortly, folks. But yeah, the other thing that uh amazes me about this really well thought out fo- post is uh, surprisingly, like the guy who owned the Corvette, Tom Nicholson, is somehow it was not listed that he was a veteran of like twenty deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan and Korea. Uh, but more, more to the point, um, is the the point of this post that capitalism is freely giving your money in exchange for something of value. Is it happens it, in any economic system. What the hell? Uh, yeah, that's... That, what? Yeah, you can go to China. They're doing the same thing, buddy. You can go to Cuba. It's done there, too. You can go to Vietnam. It's They're doing that, too. I mean, I don't get the point what? here. Um, the Soviet Union did it, too. Um, yeah. But, well, the other thing about this really ridiculous fucking post I've noticed... Is that okay? Is this about capitalism and so called welfare mentality? Wherever the fuck that is. Um, gr- I'm sure this person really loves poor people. Um, uh, when you give some someone something for nothing, you rob them of their dignity and self worth. Uh, who, who's doing nothing? How does this person fucking feel about like the earned income tax credit? That's literally welfare that anybody well not not literally anybody but lots of people can claim certain tax yeah, well, cred- I mean, certain tax credits literally would fall under the definition of welfare well speaking of welfare how does this person feel about the big banks investment banks and insurance banks getting bailed out in 2000 2000- yeah, eight two thousand ten. How do they feel about like the the practically zero risk that they take on themselves? How, I mean, how do they feel about a CEO who decides to give themselves a pay raise of like a hundred million dollars or a bonus? Well, with government money, yeah, government taxpayer money to quote unquote say we got to save the economy. Yeah, and guess who gets bonuses? Executives at the investment banks, Goldman Sachs. Hmm. Man. So this sends a lot of messages, all of them which are stupid. Uh, what is equally as stupid is the motivation that our acquaintance had for sending this to you. <laughs> well, no, what? Like, what the fuck? Why did he send this to me? Is he trying to convert me? Do you feel converted? Do you feel that you can finally abandon the satanic clutches of socialism and? Marxism or whatever the fuck ideology you have to just... I don't really have an ideology. This broken view of what capitalism is? I, I feel more stupid. I'm like, I can't, believe, I can't believe people actually believe this, but it's ignorance, man. People like this, they need to read more. They need to read about finance and see how we're getting screwed up the butt with no Vaseline. Boy, and a little bit of gasoline. Yeah, imagine if the person who wrote this actually had a good understanding of how, like, uh, let's say, bonds trading 
how that actually is literally using money to make more money and you're not actually working you're not you're you're not literally if you're like a bond trader or whatever you're not you are literally not quote and i'm quoting the stupid post here uh putting money in people's pockets and giving them dignity for their skills that's not what's happening (laughs) Well, you got to be a bullshit artist, a grifter, to be able to do that effectively. Yeah, because the only value, the only the value of those kind of products are what people will pay for them. So there's no price. See, whenever you study economics, and I took two classes uh, for my master's degree, and one thing that oh, I remember a lot, but prices, right? The prices for goods and services. Mm-hmm. Prices are the rationing mechanisms for scarce resources. So there is no, that doesn't apply to the finance world. The economics does not apply to the finance world. It's fucking wild, wild west with easy money, um, grift the government. It's fucking wild. Grift people that you're trying to like sell and trade stocks and bonds to in order to artificially increase the value of those stocks and bonds. And playing hot, hot potato. Look at the uh, look at the 2008 mortgage-backed security MBS. Look at that crash. Yeah. Those people, those people in those investment banks, those investors, they were playing hot potato because many of them knew that it was going that that bubble was going to pop. So basically, they were it off these subpar, um, low-rated or yeah, low-rated mortgages or MBS, mortgage-backed securities, and they were trying to just throw them off on other people. It's mm. Yeah. Do you think that those people were really feeling a loss of dignity when they basically got something for fucking nothing? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't look at the finance world and say this is capitalism. You can't, you can't use – I think it's out – I think the term capitalism is outdated. We're beyond that. We're in a fucking new financial... We're in a new world order with this shit, man. This is something... I don't know what it's called, but it's effed up. I know that. Well, if if that is true or not, there's no denying that it emerged from capitalism. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, and, you- and the problem is, too, one tenant of capitalism is laissez-faire. Government, keep your hands off the economy. Let the markets work. The markets will regulate themselves, right? Hmm. Well, the financial market, if you deregulate that, you're going to have busts in the economy, depressions, recessions. You look at history and you look at the history of deregulation in the United States of America and heavy deregulation by Republicans from the beginning of the 20th century has always has always, without fail, led to depressions and recessions. Always. Without fail. But uh, I wouldn't even say Republicans, because the policies of Clinton, who was a Democrat, also helped that as well. The dot-com boom of the late 1990s. Yeah. So Clinton's ass, too, needs to take some responsibility, even though he's not a Republican. Although I would argue he was more of a Republican than some others. Right. Like people forget that Democrats are also like big enablers of what we call neoliberalism. 
like the the 80s and 90s were like peak raw like neoliberalism whether it's well, Ronald Reagan or whether it's fucking Bill Clinton like well, you, you oh, ever played a pickup basketball game and you try to take the ball from your teammate but you you don't your mind doesn't register at that time and he says same team same the way I look at Republicans and Democrats is they're the same team when it comes to economics. Right. Both of them are free market neoliberals. Yeah, they represent the interest of basically the same classes of people. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not fucking Tom Nicholson. It's not fucking Bob that they're looking after. I mean, and that's why in the 2016 presidential election, I didn't vote for Hillary or Trump. I didn't vote for any of them because they're both crooks and both. Well, Trump's a more out front crook, but Clinton, the Clintons are just absolute crooks. Yeah, they fucking slimy. I mean, they'll do anything for political power, man. Anything. They probably they would probably slit their own mama's throat. Allegedly. I think I have to say allegedly so I don't get sued. I mean, remember (laughs) that Hillary Clinton was secretary of state. And her and other officials were the ones who basically mastermind the fall of Libya. Mm, yeah. And Barack Obama, who was president at the time, went on to say that his policy decisions regarding Libya were one of his biggest regrets in his presidency. There's, a, there's another, in my opinion, felt president, Obama. Just all marketing and hype, man. Yeah, it's one of his biggest achievements is, quote unquote, Obamacare. But really, the the companies, the health insurance companies liked it. I mean, it was it was a basically it was a tax. Basically, now the health insurance companies with Obamacare have forced customers. Kind of bullshit is that? Yeah. That's one of his proudest achievements. Yeah. Also, I should probably qualify my earlier statement about what Obama said regarding Libya. It -hmm. was the he actually said, and I'm quoting the aftermath of uh, what happened in Libya was the worst mistake of his presidency. However, he still held to that intervening in Libya was the right thing to do. Oh, so the aftermath being when. Gaddafi was literally sodomized by a knife. To death, yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, that's the thing about the United States of America, though. You look at the history of this country, and we're going to get into this, too, with the video from... The history of the United States of America is going into other countries and blowing them up, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Countries that... Why are you over here? What, what the fuck are you doing over here? There's no point over here. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> it's history of America, putting your nose in other people's business. Absolutely. Do you want to get to that? Because there's um, something I mentioned. Um, yeah. Was it this video that you sent here? Yeah, by Bill Maher. I love, for the record, I love Bill Maher. I agree with him on most stuff. But this one, I'm thinking, man, this one really chapped my ass. And finally, new rule, blind hatred of America. (laughs) 
Um, okay, is there a specific part in the video you would like me to skip to, or? Mm, let's see here. Let me pull this mug up. I'm also going to speed it up, too, so I don't... Unlike you, I'm not a fan of Bill Maher. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's speed it up, though, for the sake of time. Okay. It's just as blinkered as blind love. Go ahead. And we, and we Americans should really get some perspective. The one, live. Yeah, because you know how to make this play to the recording. I don't. I've ever had an <laughs> yeah, I have a control on my really talk here. Including the notion, yeah. oh, you people have no idea. All you do is bitch about and badmouth your own country. But if you knew about the country I came from, you'd stop shitting on me. But, uh, yeah, but anyway, while you do that, this uh, from... His show, Real Time with Bill Maher, it's called New Rule, The Lesson of Afghanistan, and it was posted August 27th, 2021, so. Okay. And basically, the gist gist of this, uh, the the main argument is that America um, is, I guess, it's very patriotic. It's very rah-rah, go America. America can do no wrong, I guess. You mean this video? Yeah. Oh, God. And, like, we were, like, United States of America was in Afghanistan to fight oppression. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, buddy, no. (laughs) This is why I don't really take Bill Maher takes very seriously. I never. I mean, I agree with him on most stuff, but I'm like, what happened here? Yeah, he just goes off on the weirdest shit sometimes. Yeah. And he's more centrist too. A lot of people say he's like far left, but he's more centrist. That's another reason why I like him. He's like center left. Yeah, yeah, liberal. Center left. He he's, would be what Obama would be. President Obama would have been. Yeah. Roosevelt. All right, I'm playing it right now. Used to cry. Cry right. At the drop of a hat. Now he's talking about John Boehner. Flag in his club sandwich, he'd lose it. Making jokes. Yeah, super patriotic. This sloppy, drunk love for their country that often renders them incapable of acknowledging its problems. That's how we got the 2013 Supreme Court ruling gutting the Voting Rights Act. Not because John Roberts is a monster. And so they can hear this, right? I can't hear anything. They weren't talking about John Roberts now. But liberals, as usual in this era, have now gone too far in the other direction. They under-romanticize. Bro, you are, no he's, he's talking about liberals, but I'm like, bro, you are a liberal. And he made up funny songs on TikTok. What? He's allowed to critique his, his own a comedian. people. Like that, a close to yeah, but at the same time, like, this one he's kind of, it sounds like there's some rhetorical distancing between himself and other liberals. And this one sued me over a joke. Donald Trump sues Bill Maher for $5 million. And as president yeah. called me every name in the book for the crime of Oh yeah, and by the way, orangutans are the fuck this. So yeah, and Donald Trump is the opposite, so sorry. Oh that's I was at the zoo, dude, with my wife, and we saw this orangutan carrying a blanket around. It was so cute behind a Toyota Tacoma. How was freaking cute? I have to show you the video sometime. Yeah. I'm sorry your professor said something you didn't like. That won't be also be careful, y'all. Palm oil. Palm oil. That shit kills orangutans habitats and other animals. So now he's talking about Oh shit, I I didn't hear the last part. Let me replay Something you it. didn't like. That won't be a problem with the Taliban because you're not allowed to go to Tacoma. Have a little perspective about the stuff we howl about here. I'm s- have a little perspective I'm about some of the things we have about like. here. That won't be a problem with the Taliban because you're not allowed to go to school. In Saudi Arabia, grown women can be jailed for doing the kind of things we think of as routine without the permission of a male guardian. Oh, is he going off about, like, cancel culture or some shit? More children in Burkina Faso work than our He does that a lot. Only five but, uh, electricity. he makes a good Honestly, point. Like, comedians shouldn't have died. Like, you mentioned a comedian dying. I mean, yeah. Free speech is true. Yeah. 
Free speech is super, uber important. Doing it for a role. The only people who have no water live in California. If you think America is irredeemable, turn on the news or get a passport and a ticket on one of those sketchy airlines that puts its web address on the plane. There's a reason Afghan mothers are handing their babies to us. And I have a feeling this is not in good faith towards people who critique America, though. And I'm sure everyone who what do you mean good faith? Yes, someone who is like okay. So I'm pausing right now. Okay. So, like for example, I mean. I feel like people, if we, you know, criticize something bad about America, like, you know, racism, and then yeah. someone will bring up, well, what, what about, like, Saudi Arabia? What about Russia? Or, you know, it's like, it's yeah. whataboutism. Yeah, what about ism? But this feels like whataboutism in a different direction. Like, this feels like inverse whataboutism. Like, I mean, America can suck in a lot of regards, like healthcare, yeah. but what good does it like, what's the point of comparing healthcare in the United States, for example, to like yeah. healthcare in, like, I don't know, so like Saudi Arabia or Somalia? Yeah. Like, okay, what what what's the point? I mean, mm. why would why would what well, comparison would be more like drawing similarities, like contrasting. I'm like, what's the point here? Because mm. he mentioned earlier, you know, about like liberals essentially complaining about some things that their college professor said that hurt their feelings. You know, that's a common talking point when it yeah. comes. Yeah. It's a, it's a very common talking point and it's almost like a thought stopping cliche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, if, and maybe I should probably play the remainder of the fucking clip here just so I don't take anything he says out of context. But I also feel like that, <laughs> We can criticize America too. It's fine, yeah. Bill. Like it, it shouldn't be like like we talked about the Puritans last week. Love it or leave it. It should be love it and try to make it for the better. Yeah. Now I think his. I guess the. I'm trying to like steel man what he's saying here. You know, interpret it in the best light possible. Like I think he's directing this segment towards people who are more that say America is like fundamentally irredeemable. It is fundamentally corrupt. It is fundamentally evil and so on and so forth. Um, That's who I'm assuming he is referring to with this Mm, critique. But the rhetoric he's employing is kind of the same as like, yeah, right. The right wings use to, to anybody who criticizes America. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm glad I don't fucking live in Afghanistan, but that doesn't fucking mean that Amer- the situation in America regarding, say, you know, like healthcare or whatever is fucking dandy either. It Absolutely, just yeah. feels like whataboutism and it shuts down <clears throat> criticism. Yeah. But all right, I'm going to continue playing the video because he's at a point where he's talking about, you know, women or like people literally handing babies. Yeah. Or- to U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. But that doesn't make us the bad guys. We're not the bad guys. Oppression is what we were trying to stop in Afghanistan. In oh, fact, God. That, that, that's, to tell you, oh, God. He, he said it. He said the, the thing you mentioned. Of current oh, yeah. The oppression. Yeah. The United States is in Afghanistan for freedom. Like, holy fuck. No. Like, dude, what the fuck? That's what George Bush the second, Bush the oh, yeah. second would say. What the hell? Don't you weren't. 
Dude, you were in there, but I don't know why you were in there. Nobody but probably Dick Cheney and the shadow government that was in, in power then knows why they were in Afghanistan. I feel like Bill Maher doesn't really have... Well, I could be wrong. Does he have, like, a lot of people that actually, like, debate him seriously? Um, He's had several people on the show. Like, he had Ben Shapiro on his show last week. Oh, did he? Not, I mean, two weeks before, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a cringe compilation with a critical race theory with Ben Shapiro and um, another guy. I forget the guy's name. Yeah, I am not watching that. Marriage by capture? Because we have. What's the lesson of Afghanistan? Maybe it's that everyone from the giant dorm room bitch session that is the internet should take a good look at what real oppression looks like. Ask your maid. Ask your Uber driver. Ask the Asian woman giving you a massage. She'll tell you this place is Shangri-La, and not just because she works in a place called Shangri-La. America may not be the country of your faculty lounge and Twitter dreams, but no one here tries to escape by hanging on to an airplane. No, we wait till we're inside the plane to fight. And not only because they cut off the beverage service. Okay, that's the rest of the video. Oh yeah, Malcolm Nance, the guy who, um, Malcolm Nance and Ben Shapiro, um, and that was three weeks ago. So yeah. All right. So um, wow. yeah. I mean, that thing really checked my ass because uh, here is. I wrote down a couple of notes too. This is the stuff that bothers me all the time. I think about this frequently. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. America. We general generally we don't have to worry about our lives if we say something. Like, 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 like what we're doing now. This is awesome. Freedom speech, freaking amazing. And it's all inspiring. The true definition of awesome. Thank mm-hmm. heaven. Yeah, there are things that are fine to be grateful of that living here offers. Like, well, it, you no can't shit. get too free. Yeah. <laughs> Look what happened to Julian Assange. And what's her, what's, what's her name? Chelsea Manning? Chelsea Manning, yeah. Yeah, look at what happened to them. Except when that shit happens, then it's like... Look what happened to Dr. King and Fred Hampton. (laughs) You know? Can't get too free with your speech here. But generally speaking, we got free speech. Yeah, for the most part. But the way I see uh, United States of America is our suffering is different. It's more of a silent suffering. It's more of the suffering that can come about when you don't have enough money to pay the rent or you have a medical bill. Yeah, right. That destroys your entire savings. Yeah, and may, maybe makes you go bankrupt. So America, our country is more silent suffering. And uh, think about it too: all the refugees that come in, or let's say immigrants that come into this country, mm-hmm. and you and you can attest to this as well because we know the same people. But <laughs> it doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter if you've got like a master and a PhD. I mean, it, you come into this country, you're going to be financially insecure unless you know some powerful rich people. Or you're bringing money with you. Or you're, yeah, or you're bringing money with you. But I mean, where I work, uh, dude, I see people come in from other countries and the best they can do is get a freaking... $11 an hour job. And these are people who have teaching degrees. People, I know a person who's taught in India at a college level, um, English. <laughs> yeah. I know somebody who did engineering work for Iraq. And there's this country is a land of silent suffering and financial insecurity where your value on society is how much you can consume, how much you can spend. 
um, a consumerist capitalist society where there's no real security because we always want more. We're told to want more. And also, why the hell are some of these countries the way they are? It's because during the Cold War, we're living with the effects of the Cold War, the USSR and the United States going into places, destroying destroying the governments of these countries and creating power vacuums. I was talking with our mutual friend. Um, you know him. He's he's short. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, I was talking with him. And, uh, you know, you want to talk about Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS. These groups came about because they were created by the United States. Yeah. Just think about Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Why were they created? Usually either indirect, typically it's indirectly. Sometimes it is outwardly directly, like the Contras in Nicaragua during the mm, presidency yeah. of Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. um, or when the U.S. helped overthrow the democratically elected leader, along with the United Kingdom, of Iran. Which, Iran, yeah. As a result. Installed the Shah of Iran. Yeah, which also later sparked the Iranian Revolution. Mm -hmm. um, all these fucking things. Um, so sometimes it's indirectly, sometimes it's directly. In ISIS, right? They were created indirectly from the power vacuum that emerged when um, Iraq. From Iraq. Yeah. So... And, and you even look at Central America. Let's say Latin America to include Central and South America. Mm -hmm. Why are some of these countries in the shape they're in? Well, you can you can blame Venezuela, for example, a lot on the policies of Chavo. Um, I mean, Chavo, I said Chavo. Chavez. <laughs> but you can also blame a lot of those conflicts on the Monroe Doctrine and the Roosevelt Corollary and the policies of the Cold War. The United States and the USSR both, I don't care what goddamn side of the political spectrum you're on, both countries went into other countries and installed leaders that were friendly to them. Yeah. And both that, the USA, oh yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, that creates the recipe for a very unstable political situation. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And we like, feel the effects of it. I mean, how do you think the fucking Vietnam War escalated? To that mm. point. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it was split between North and South. The Frenchies and, yeah. brought us in, yeah. Well, it was more more like South Vietnam. Uh, because it was mm. a Western-supporting country. Whereas, I mean, obviously the North Vietnamese were, to some extent, supported by the Soviet Union. I, I don't really actually know the exact extent. Granted, I'm not an expert about the fucking Vietnam War, um, but yeah. it is the roots of it lie in the French colonialism, French uh, imperialism. Yeah, and then the United States backed a guy who was essentially oh, not only yeah. exploiting people in Vietnam, he was also very politically repressive too, especially yeah. towards Buddhists. Yes, and yeah, the president of Vietnam at the time was a Roman Catholic. Yeah, it was, and Ho Chi Minh wasn't that bad of a guy, right? Like in the West, we like to think of him as like this fucking devil, but it's like, yeah. no, no, he's actually just a human being. 
Um, and people would say, well, you're being disrespectful to the people who fought in the Vietnam War. No, I'm not, because those people who fought in the Vietnam War, the U.S. soldiers, I got nothing against them. I got something against the policies of the United States government. Yeah, people foreign like policy. fucking Henry Kissinger, for example. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That guy, I hope there are protests at his funeral. Yeah, but... Here we have guys like fucking Bill Maher doing this bullshit. Like, what does he hope to accomplish? Like, is 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 the content of his message to be grateful that you live in America? And if that is, like, okay, so what? Yeah, I'm grateful to live in the United States of America, but there's also something deep in my mind, in my psyche, that knows for me to have so much, others have to have so little. Think about this. Right, and that works. For our country, yeah, yeah, that work. That doesn't just work internationally. Like yeah, it the works reason, here too. Yeah, yeah, the reason shit is so cheap to buy here is because it's produced in countries where workers are mm. fucking yeah. miserably exploited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no ethical consumption under capitalism because there is no. It's a zero sum game where. For me to get one extra dollar, it's got to be taken from someone else. And you look at the world and the natural resources, there's a finite amount amount of resources. You can't just, like like in Age of Mythology, right? The real-time strategy game. You can't just farm infinite uh, food, right? Resources are finite, which means it's a zero-sum game. Money... It's a zero-sum game because all of it is based on resources. Mm -hmm. And this perpetual growth model is not sustainable. And and Americans, we Americans, at least me, I feel this guilt because I realize for me to have the freedom, I wouldn't even say the freedoms, but for me to have the material comfort that we have in this country requires a lot of discomfort and downright evil in other countries. Yeah. And the solution isn't to be uncomfortable because you being uncomfortable does not improve the situation there either. Like, we can envision a society, we can envision a fucking world where people are comfortable, but they don't have to rely on the suffering of others to be comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And... I do kind of want to switch gears here, but I do have one final thing to say about the whole stupid Bill Maher thing I just listened to. So if you want to be like very technical about it, like the text of what he's saying, the text of that video would be uh, essentially, you know, hey, you don't live in Afghanistan. People would die to be here, uh, so on and so forth. But the subtext the thing that's not being directly said here yeah. mm-hmm. is not just that you should be grateful that you live here, but the other subtext that's that I'm perceiving when I watch that video mm. is shut the fuck up. You live in yeah, America. Yeah, support the government and support the government, whatever they, they tell you. It's thought stopping. Whatever they do, yeah. And it's not just a conservative thing. Liberals do the same shit too. Neoliberals. Yeah. I would... Yeah, I would say social libs too. It just depends. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say 
about fucking Bill Maher. And and there is no best country in the world because objectively speaking, you can't go to every country and it, it's ridiculous to say that. Who knows what the best? Who gives a fuck? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's completely subjective too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. All right. So moving on. All right. I do have. Well, let's get to the founding. More of the founding of this country. Yeah. Well, but right before we get to oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I do have like a little personal thing. I want to do a little self critique here, folks. And I know we've been delaying the main content of this episode for like an hour, but I do want to get something off my chest here. So, uh, regarding, and I think this was like episode thirteen. I made some pretty petty catty remarks about the appearance of the pastor of X church because of his fashion sense. Uh, and it had me thinking for a good part of the week. And I actually kind of felt really shitty because that is a very petty thing to critique. And that's not even a critique. It's just me being my my worst part of myself, which is I'm a catty guy. I can be pretty venomous about petty shit. And sometimes, you know, it happens to the best of us. However, like that said, I am going to commit to attacking ideas, words, and actions instead of superficial stuff like personal appearance because yeah. i don't i don't generally really do that in any other venue or medium that i'm on but for some reason and maybe it's like the power of the anonymity of the internet i don't know but i don't really like indulging in that worst aspect of myself like if i'm going to criticize the pastor of X church. I'm going to criticize him for behaviors like that weird photo he posted on Instagram where his leg is weirdly wrapped around his 16 year old daughter. Um, I'm going to take, I'm going to fucking criticize uh, the homophobia that his church may probably teaches. I'm going to criticize that those things. And yeah, yeah, that's, and that's, that was episode 13, by the way. Yeah, and it's not the first, that's not the only episode I've done shit like that. I'll be completely honest. I'm not fucking perfect here. <laughs> but I'm going to kind of commit to, like I said, attacking things that are worth critiquing and actually offering critique and not blurring the line between a personal little jab here and an actual criticism. So that's all I gotta say. Well, that's very noble and humble of you, man. I'm trying. I'm trying, folks. I wish uh, that tweet you, uh, you that tweet you read earlier would have done that as well, rather than because that person should critique people who sag, which I actually think is a good look as long as it's not too low, or people who wear flat-brimmed hats. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, fuck Ben Shapiro. Um, absolutely toxic human being. There's a reason. parasite. There's a reason why his cousin, who actually is a famous child actress, does not interact with them. 
Yeah, you know the movie Matilda? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the actress of that, uh, I think her name was Rain Wilson? Yeah, let me see here. Rain Wilson, she's actually cousins with Ben Shapiro. She was the main character of Matilda. And she basically cut all communications and ties with him because he's a toxic piece of shit. Mm. He's not worth engaging. Because oh, yeah. he is... He is ha- he has no compunction against ma- like engaging that kind of behavior, and I'm like, fuck if Ben Shapiro is doing it, I don't want to fucking do it. Did you uh, do you know who Duncan Trussell is? Duncan Trussell? Nah. Oh well, he was uh, he basically he was he's a very very close friend of Joe Rogan's, and uh, and he he was on his podcast. This was like uh, I, recently, but anyway, Dun- Duncan Trussell was like, why the hell do you have that? He's a nerd. <laughs> Seriously, that's what he said. What the fuck? <laughs> no, Trussell, uh, Duncan Trussell said to Rogan, he's like, why do you have that guy on? His views are like anti-gay and... Like, yeah, like... Well, pretty, yeah. yeah, it's fucking poison. Right, well, it's, I call it grifting parasit, para, parasitism? Parasitism? Yeah, everything parasite. But the thing is, I think Ben Shapiro actually believes that shit. <laughs> I think he legit believes it. So I, I necessarily wouldn't call him a grifter in that sense. Like oh, okay. a lot of the culture war, like war bullshit that he mm. spews, he probably doesn't really care about. It's probably not something he actually gives a shit about, but he will make a big deal out of it because that's what his audience wants. So even yeah. if he personally doesn't think it's a big deal, he's going to pretend that he cares about it. Yeah. Well, you're in too deep at that point once you get a bigger audience, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. So we're at the one hour mark. We should get to the actual meat of this episode. Oh, right. Yeah. Though, though, that's cool that we do that, like current events or whatever. Uh, I like we do. too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I'll introduce us. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Before we begin, let's just go a little bit into what uh, what we'll be using as a source. Uh, so again, we're going to be using Gary B. Nash's uh, Red, White, and Black, The Peoples of Early North America, 6th edition. And we're going to be on this one. This is probably going to be our second to last. We're going to be on pages 75 to go here, 79. So four pages. All yeah. right. And then um, we'll finish up this topic next week. Hell yeah. Inshallah, of course, as our Muslim brothers and sisters say. God willing, God as willing. our Christian brothers and sisters say. Same thing. They both mean the same thing. If you're wondering, like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, page 75. So what we're talking about here are the Puritans... And the founding, well, not the founding, but the continuation of the settlement of Plymouth. And it's important for American history because we see the value of freedom, of liberty. Everybody likes to look at these Puritans as they came over here to escape religious oppression. But what happened is, what had happened was they carry out that same oppression against people who believe differently with uh, who believe differently than they do 
in the Roger Williams or the Ann Hutchinson. And that's what we talked about last time. And if you haven't listened to the last one, holy mackerel, cornbread gets deep. Deep is the abyss in respect to defining liberty and defining and talking about cancel culture. And so we're going to pick off from there. Pick off, pick off, pick off, pick up, up, up from there. And we're going to talk about the Puritans and the Indians. So, cool stuff. Our indigenous brothers and sisters. Yes. And I guess whatever a non-binary family member would be. Sibling. And you know what, though? The Puritans are also our brothers and sisters. Because here's the thing. The Water Margin, the great Chinese epic novel, told us all men are brothers. And if we truly believe that, my man, we've got to live that out, even with people who disagree with us, even with people like, dare I say his name, uh, people like Trump, because we're all brothers. And the world would be a better place if everybody thought like that have you and, ever, and acted like that. Have you ever listened to a gentleman, a scholar by the name of Cornell West? Oh, absolutely. The beautiful brother. Yeah. Yes, that man... Oof, I feel it. Oh, absolutely. You are channeling um, Cornell West energy right now. I would love to just sit down and talk with him about Russian literature, Curtis Mayfield, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oof. My brother's deep. But Deeper yeah. than the abyss. <laughs> All right. So, let's get All into right. it. We're, let's get into it. So... We're roughly in about the year, the 1620s, 30s, and we're in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And what is the relationship between the Puritans and the Indians? We're going to find out. So, I guess I can do some of the reading here. Given the Puritan ideal of community and the centrality of the idea of reforming the world in their image, it might be thought that the conflict and limited acceleration that characterized Anglo-Indian contacts on the Chesapeake would have been replaced in New England by less hostility and greater interaction. But this was not the case. Oh, sad. English exploratory incursions and small-scale attempts at settlement in the early 17th century had to contend with the fact that the French and Dutch had already established permanent settlements and a trading network that extended from Nova Scotia to New Amsterdam. The French and Dutch had built the trade on a system of reciprocal relations with the natives of the region. None of the first English attempts at settlement fared well because the English adopted the more militaristic stance towards the Indians recommended by John Smith. And the English are assholes. The English are assholes. And we all remember (laughs) John Smith from our previous episodes, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude that I'd like to get down and dirty with in the field, but not in the sexual way. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Following more... Military, uh, I already read that, didn't I? Wait. Ah, I lost my place. Oh, no. None of the first English attempts at settlement fared well because the English adopted the more militaristic stance towards the Indians recommended by John Smith. 
following his voyage to the New England coast in 1614. English expeditions attacked and kidnapped coastal Indians on a number of occasions. In 1614, one of Smith's captains captured more than 20 Indians and sold them in slavery in Malaga, Spain. Such a brass-knuckles approach guaranteed that the English, when they began to arrive in the 1620s, would not be welcomed as people with whom amicable relations could be expected. Oh, man. Dude, throughout world history, the English are like the biggest, I don't want to say the C word, but they are the biggest jerks in world history, it seems like. Yeah, when the, it seems like when the English show up anywhere, things get a little stinky for everyone yeah, else involved. Well, because the French and Dutch were there, but it's like they weren't doing <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I mean, they, they kind of did too, but not as extensive as their English counterparts. But And remember, y'all, John Smith, uh, he was part of the Jamestown Expedition in Virginia. And we talked about that in previous episodes, Jamestown and the Pursuit of Profit. And John but Smith it's was a different hawkish. up here. Yeah, and he's kind oh, of a very. hawkish character, right? Oh yeah. He well he's a he's an old grizzled war. John Smith is the type of dude who would be a villain in a Western. Um think Henry Fonda's character in Once Upon a Time in the West, and you got you kinda kinda got a guy that would be John Smith. Yeah. He's it, not a hero. Not really. It was not brute force or superior numbers, however, that paved the way for permanent English presence in New England. Rather, it was disease. Ah, oh, that damn disease. In 1616, English fishermen stopped on the coast and triggered a, quote, virgin soil <laughs> epidemic, unquote. The, imp- what the hell? The implantation of viruses into a population with no immunological defense. Tens of thousands of Indians died within a single year, especially in the region from Massachusetts Bay to Plymouth Bay, where entire villages were swept away or abandoned. So this is like the fucking Black Death. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have, like, ghost villages at this point. It's that fucking bad. This is, like, how it's devastating, you know, indigenous peoples. These diseases that they have no way of being protected from and that's the thing that killed most of the indigenous people um if it wasn't the english and the other europeans it was disease yeah and we're talking like smallpox and stuff like that because and you might be wondering that well the europeans brother these motherfuckers over there in europe they didn't have as much room um, in space as the Americas. So, you know, they, you know, the Europeans, they're living close with each other. They're living with other animals, like it, not even dogs, but stuff like cows, goats. So the Europeans, they had their own epidemics, but they were more, I guess you can say dirty. Um, they, they had, I the, guess. they had the exposure that yeah. basically, protected them from future infections or at least made their likelihood of surviving those infections much higher. Yeah, because they had already gone through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And wider, denser communities. Yep. 
Five years later, an Englishman moving through the area wrote that the Indians had died on heaps as they lay in their houses and the living that were able to shift for themselves would run away and let them die and let their carcasses lie above ground without burial. That's fucking brutal. It sounds like the Black Plague, it sounds like other primary counts of the Black Plague during Europe. Um, yeah, it's like, it's too dangerous even to bury your loved ones after they died. Yeah. Because you could easily get what they had that killed them. And there was no germ theory back then. <laughs> no, nobody had no fucking germ theory. Not yeah. Nothing. You can go to Walgreens and get some hand sanitizer. None of that shit. Can't go to Amazon and get masks, you know? Dude, even if you're careful, uh, it's hard not to get it during a pandemic. Um, like, I got COVID-19. I'm like, I don't know how the hell I got it. And I even spread it to my brother. Yeah. And I'm the type, I wear my mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was working with you, you had your fucking mask on all the time. And you still yeah. got it. Yeah, I have no idea how. Yeah. And uh, this Englishman's account continues as such here. And the bones and skulls upon the several places of their habitations made such a spectacle that as I traveled in that forest near the Massachusetts tribe, it seemed to me a newfound Golgotha. Golgotha being essentially the hill that Jesus Christ was crucified on. Three quarters or more of the native inhabitants of southern New England probably succumbed to the disease. Such carnage forced a reshuffling of Algonquin-speaking people. Remnants of villages and fragments of families had to resettle and reform into viable groups that could feed and defend themselves. So this is a pretty grim situation. Three quarters of the population. 75%, yeah. Yeah. Just dead. Dead, yeah. So let's put this in perspective. Imagine 75% of United States citizens were to die. Mm-hmm. That would be catastrophic. I can't even imagine. That's, that's unfathomable. Unfathomable to me. It would take, like, what, a century, if not more, to bounce back from that. Yeah, well, hold on. So we got, what, 400 million Americans here? Yeah. So imagine, and this is just to put things into perspective here. So what yeah. would be 75% of the American population dying off? I'll look that up. Yeah. So 400 million, 400 million. No fucking way. That would be 300,000, 300 million. Wait. Wow. So th- out of 400 million, you say 300 million? Yeah, 75, 75% of 400 million is 300 million. Damn. Yeah. So imagine this that. Quarter, imagine one, two, three, four. Yeah. So. Yeah. So uh, wow. that's just what it looks like when wow. it comes to scale. If you, oh. But also try to imagine being one of these like Algonquin speaking peoples here. This must, like, your whole family is probably dead. You will very likely catch this disease yourself if you aren't distanced. This must have been like watching the fucking apocalypse 
take over your village. Yeah, and I wish that we'd have more records from their perspective, written records at least, because theirs were primarily more oral cultures. Yeah. So I can only imagine how memories of this would pass on culturally throughout the centuries. Yeah. But, yeah. So we're going to be moving on now, too. Yeah. When about we're going to go back to the Pilgrims in 1620. Yeah. Uh, So remember, everybody, the Pilgrims and the Puritans were technically different. The Puritans founded the Plymouth Colony in 1620 when they arrived. But the Puritans came later in 1630, 1630 about. So two different groups. And now let's go back to the Pilgrims in 1620. What was the Pilgrims' relationship like with the native indigenous peoples? Do you want to kinda... carry this one on? Yeah, I can do that. So the Pilgrims arrive in Plymouth in 1620. They disembarked that had recently suffered those catastrophic population losses. And not only, check this out, this not only opened up land for them, but also weakened the Indians' ability to resist them. So the pilgrims come in 1620 and they're like, oh man, we got so much land that used to be other people's, but they died. And... There's not enough Indians really to resist us. And so the English had the further good fortune of encountering this brother named Squanto, a Wampanoag Wampanoag Indian whom an English ship captain had kidnapped in 1614. The hell? What is with these English people kidnapping people shit? If they're not not spreading plagues and killing people, they're kidnapping them and shit. Yeah, and selling them for slavery like John Smith did. Oi, did you have a license to be here? Like, goddamn. Like, like, think of what what kind of sick person are you if the first inclination in your head is, I want to kidnap this person whom I don't even know. (laughs) (sighs) So Squanto's, uh, the person who kidnapped Squanto sold him in Spain, but somehow Squanto made his way back to England where he joined an English captain on several trips to the New England coast. So quite a life, quite an adventure. On the second of these trips, Squanto found that most of his tribe had been killed by the plague. Holy shit. And he remained in the Cape Cod area and was there when the pilgrims landed. Yeah. Like wow. imagine you're Oh my god. Let's say like imagine you're like a student coming back from overseas or whatever. Yeah. And you come home to find out that everyone in your family is dead from covid. What do you do then? Yeah. I mean that's crazy. That, can you imagine that's an incomprehensible sadness, man. Yeah. I can't comprehend that. You, that's something you got to experience to comprehend, and it's inc- incomprehensible. That's amazing. Wow. So, Squanto is there 
when the when the pilgrims landed in 1620 and through Squanto's friendship, the pilgrims received important assistance in the early years. Um, relations between the pilgrims and the Indian people of the Massachusetts coast were relatively friendly friendly until after the newcomers discovered the natives underground cold storage cellars and stole as much of the corn placed there for winter use as they could carry off. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> like, okay. So, like, these are Puritans, right? Like, aren't they supposed no, these to... these are pilgrims. These oh, are pilgrims. excuse me, pilgrims. But still, like, aren't they supposed to be, like, this moral society? And they're like, Oi, we're gonna fucking steal that corn. Yeah. You got a license for that corn, mate. I mean, this is like... Think of this, y'all, as like a uh, an episodic Netflix series... And everything's cool in the first couple episodes, and then one of these pilgrim English fucks discover the cold storage cellars and all the corn that the native that the Indians have been storing for winter. And that's the end of the episode. Episode two, that's the end of the episode. And then next episode, the English just steal it. And it's like, whoa, who stole our shit? The, the Indians are like, who stole our stuff? It's like this is a. This needs to be his Netflix series. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, real the, history. And the English are the bad guys again. Surprise! So, oh, oh go ahead. No, you go ahead. So even then, the Indians chose to minimize contact with the settlers. Though after death had reduced the oh this again, death had reduced the Plymouth colony to about 50 persons in the spring of 1621, the vulnerability of the English invited attack. So I guess the Plymouth settlers are also dying <laughs> from their own, uh, <laughs> their own plagues and shit. And they have 15, uh, sorry, 50, five, zero people in the spring of 1621. Yeah. I'm guessing the pilgrims or Puritans, excuse me, Whichever one it is we're talking about here. Uh, the Pilgrims. Yeah. yeah, Pilgrims. It looks like they are... They're probably dying of things like starvation. Because if they, like, stole all that fucking corn, probably means they're not successfully growing it themselves. Well, this is... Yeah, this is the origin of Thanksgiving, too. Yeah, it's... I believe Thanksgiving... Uh, the first Thanksgiving also happened in 1621. When these starving pilgrims got help from the Indians. Um, yes, it was October 1621 um, when the New England colonists um, were accustomed to regularly celebrating Thanksgiving or Day of Prayer, thanking God for blessings such as a military victory and of a drought. Uh, the event that Americans commonly call the first Thanksgiving was celebrated by the pilgrims after their first harvest in the New World in October 1621. So, mm. so that's Thanksgiving. So this is the origin and what happens. Um, well, how do they show their gratitude afterwards? <laughs> yeah, they still. <laughs> that's American, right? <laughs> I'm still Kill, shit. steal, destroy. Kill, steal, destroy. Like did Satan said. 
Oh, boy. Oof. All right. I'll tell you. It's like Ice Cube. We talked about Ice right? Uh, last week, Ice Cube and, and Ice Cube and his song, When Will They Shoot? Uh, Ice Cube had that line. Yeah. I studied the white man. I tried to study the white man, but I got my hands bloody. You're <laughs> <laughs> oh, wrong. Oh, uh, do you want to take a shot at pronouncing that word in this next paragraph? Uh, is it... Wh- which paragraph? Is it the second one in 77? Yeah, the Wamp- the Wampanoags? <laughs> the need of the local Wampanoags. Noags. Panoags. Wampanoags. Why do we... Oh, this is like the most <laughs> recurring thing in this fucking podcast is that we encounter any indigenous American yeah. name. Neither of us can fucking pronounce it. It's oh, so Massachusetts is an indigenous name, so... Is it? But... Yeah. Oh, I never. Yeah, they were a tribe, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. A lot, a lot of the states' names, at least for the eastern coast, were tribes. Okay. Well, that helps. Uh, The need of the local Wampanoags. I'm gonna say Wampanoags. Wampanoags. Yeah. Wampanoags. Okay, I'll go with that. The need of the local Wampanoags for a military ally to aid them in their struggle with the neighboring. Oh God. Narang sets. I think this word. Uh, well, for those of you out there, Naragansets. This word. Well, this word spelled like N A R R A G A N S E T T S. So it's. I, I kind of think the Massachusetts. This the Massachusetts at yeah, the end is probably the same. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna say. Let's see, Massachusetts, Naragas, Narag, sets. <laughs> I'm gonna say Naragan sets. Yeah. So the neighboring Naragan sets probably explains why they tolerated English abuses and even signed a treaty in 1621 mm. that formed the basis for trade and mutual assistance. So we can see that there's a lot more going on than yep. just Wampanoags and the English you know, having this very shitty relationship. Um, It's a little bit more complicated because it looks like the Wampanoags are willing to tolerate the English presence and abuses if it means that they can trade and have some kind of leverage against their rival people, the Naragan sets. Yeah, so it's Indians against Indians. Yeah. And the English are playing them off against each other for power. And their corn. And their corn, yeah. The logic of the Wampanoag diplomacy became clear when Miles Standish and other pilgrims aided them in a dispute with their enemies in 1621. The Wampanoags considered the treaty as an alliance of equals, but the English, regarding themselves as culturally (laughs) superior, saw it as submission by the Indians to English domination. Yeah. Wow. That's another English thing. Culturally superior. Oi. Or at least they think. Do you have a license to be engaged in diplomacy with indigenous neighbors? Mm. Fucking hell. <laughs> the sur- See, over there in England, you know, they, they, they would probably say the English. Over there in England, we're civilized. We do things differently. We steal corn. <laughs> this surface amity... Lasted only a year, however. 
1622, about 60 non-pilgrim newcomers to the colony created serious friction. The new colonists settled themselves at Wessagusset? Is that how you Wessagusset? 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 Because this, this sounds like a colony. This sounds like a colony. Yeah. So, uh, Wessagusset. Wessagusset? I like that one better. The new colonists settled themselves at Wasegaset, some distance from the Pilgrim colony. Stole corn from the neighboring Massachusetts tribe. What the fuck is with these people stealing corn all the time? You're hungry, man. Brothers gotta eat. Grow your own damn corn. I gotta sell. It's like I said in this song, right? Selling crack to the kids. I gotta get paid. That's the way it is. Stealing big corn. Implant... So not only are these motherfuckers stealing the Massachusetts <laughs> tribe's corn, they're planning attacks on the Indians when they refuse to trade with the needy but arrogant newcomers. Wow, the fucking nerve of these people. Yeah, yeah, the nerve, right, yeah. Like the fucking you, balls on these guys, oh. You are starving in somebody's country, but you are the ones <laughs> who think you're the superior here? Fuck you. Hell yeah. America's founded on this. And we want to complain about immigrants coming to America today, the United States of America today. God, do you have a license for that corn? Under cover of a story that the Indians were conspiring against both white communities, Standish, who had long harbored grudges against several insulting Massachusetts, led an offensive against the friendly Indians, killing eight of them and impaling the head of the Sacum. What? Wituwamet? Wituwamet. I guess Sacum is like an elder. Somebody a position of authority. So they kill eight of these... I'm suspecting that they're Massachusetts people. Killing eight of them and impaling the head of the Sacum Wituwamet on top of the fort at Plymouth as an emblem of... Oh, fuck. White power. As an emblem of white power. Oh. I don't know. This might be anachronistic. I got to... I don't know about uh, Mr. Nash. Is this is a good book and everything, but this might be anachronistic to say white power. I don't know because this they did have this concept of a white race. It might be different than how we envision it now, but that's something that's fucking oh, these fucking English people. Oi, do you have a license for that head? Jesus. This is getting more violent than Virginia, dude. These these fucking English people are barbaric. Stealing corn, killing people, chopping their heads off, impaling their heads. Yeah. I mean, shit. If If you are a listener and you're indigenous, this is probably nothing new to you. So, like, stories of this is probably, you know, like, oh, duh, yeah. Hearing of the deteriorating relations, John Robinson, formerly the Pilgrim's minister in Holland, wrote Governor Bradford in dismay, asking why the English indulged in needless violence. Were civilized men in the wilderness, asked Robinson, beginning to act like, quote, savages, unquote, forgetting that they were supposed to represent order and piety? 
Singling out Miles Standish, the militia captain of Plymouth, Robinson wrote, It is a thing more glorious in men's eyes than pleasing in God's or convenient for Christians to be a terror to, this is a quote, poor barbarous people. And indeed, I am afraid lest by these occasions others should be drawn to affect this indeed, oh wait, uh, uh, hold on. Let me re. Fuck that. This is hard. <laughs> Narrating is hard, people. <laughs> and indeed, I am afraid lest by these occasions others should be drawn to affect this kind of behavior in the world. As for the Indians, they cannot imagine from whence these men should come, wrote Thomas Morton, a friend of the Indians. Or to what end, seeing them perform such unexpected actions? From that, from that time on, the English colonists were called. Oh, what the fuck! <laughs> uh, the English colonists were called Wotau. Wo, oh God, this is Wotau can. What Wotau can not. <laughs> Uh, the way I'm, the way I'm, the you, way I'm. You pronounce this shit. I'm tired. So, for those of you out there, this word is spelled W O T O W Q U E N A N G E. So I pronounce it Wotoke Nage, Nange, Wotoke Nange. But this word, uh, which in their language, um, means stabbers or cutthroats. So this is what the English colonists are now being called by those indigenous people there. Woto Kenangi. Stabbers or cutthroats. I think maybe it's Woto Kenage. Woto. Oh, okay. I, I, I could pronounce it in like Japanese or something. Woto Nakane or something. Woto yeah. Kenage. We'll go with Woto Kenage. Yeah. But the fact that this is kind of like the... I, would this be what you called like an exonym? You know, what one group of people calls another group of people? Or identifies them as? Oh, exonym? I never heard of that. Let me look that up. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what that word is. Hmm, exonym. An exonym um, is a common eternal name for a geographical place, group of people, individual person or language slash dialect that is used only outside that particular place group or linguistic community hmm. interesting yeah so anyway yeah. yeah these white people are dangerous is what that word basically fucking means wow yeah oh yeah um it, yeah so all right i'll take over from here so now y'all that was the pilgrims in the 1620s. Now the Puritans are going to come to this Plymouth colony. What's going to happen? So when the Puritan migration began in 1630, natives of the New England coast had more than a generation of experience with the English way. Little, uh, little that they had encountered made them... Uh, not optimistic. They were not optimistic about future relations. So, as for the Puritans, though, they were publicly committed to interracial harmony, but privately preparing for the worst. 
The charter of the Massachusetts Bay Company claimed that the principal end of this plantation was to win and incite the natives of the country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind and the Christian faith. All right. So we're all about, so the Puritans, I think, are more about conversion. Hmm. At least that is the stated yeah that is the written goal but it's very interesting to me because i wrote here in the margin um if your goal is to convert people how is that true freedom if if you're not if you don't want them to believe what they want to believe especially if you're stabbing them to death and stealing their corn and giving them diseases exactly I mean, nail on the head there. So it's like, how can you have freedom, true freedom, if you do not allow others to have that freedom? So, yeah. And mind you, it, the the settlers here are coming with the cultural mindset that they are culturally mm, superior to the indigenous yeah. people. Cultural chauvinism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, continuing. But the instructions of the company to John Winthrop revealed what was anticipated. All men were to be trained in the use of firearms. Indians were to be prohibited from entering the Puritan towns and any colonists so reckless as to sell arms or weapons to the Indians or instruct them in their use were to be deported to England where they would be severely punished. So you don't even have freedom to sell <laughs> capital. <laughs> Wait, I thought capitalism was that thing (laughs) where you give people money freely in exchange for something of value they make. Isn't that what capitalism do? (laughs) These people aren't. (laughs) What? No way. No way. And so, while ordering that the Indians must be fairly treated, the company reflected the garrison mentality that settlers once landed and settled displayed. No missionary activity was to be initiated for 13 years. So they're kind of talking out of their mouth and they're, they're saying one thing, but doing completely different. Like, yeah. They won't even let, they won't even let Indians in their Puritan towns. They won't. Hmm. Man. It's just, it's baffling me, man. The, the, the contradiction of freedom here. Yeah. Like you're coming over here, Puritans, to get religious freedom or freedom as you see fit, but you're going to deny freedom not only to people like Roger Williams and Ann Hutchinson who disagree with you, that's last episode, but also to the people who are already there. Yeah, whether so. it's the indigenous people or to their own like colonists here. Like, if you are a pilgrim, right? Let's say you have some education as a minister, a reverend, is it, and you decide you want to go here. Isn't one of your motivations probably going to be evangelizing? Yeah. And but then, it said no missionary activity for 13 years. Yeah. Like, what? So what do you do then? Sit in your hands? Or let's say that you want to make money and sell weapons. You're not even allowed to do that to Indians. 
to sell to the Indians, though. You can't even participate in the arms trade. What I can't freedom. Damn it, why can't I, a private citizen, sell arms <laughs> to militias fighting in some far-off country? Gosh darn it. Freedom Shit. isn't free. <laughs> Shit, in modern-day United States, we the United States makes hella money selling weapons. Like, for example, to Saudi Arabia, one of the most oppressive countries in the world. <laughs> Which country sells the most weapons? Oh, yeah. Shit. Well, how will we look that up? What will be our source online to look that up? Oh, already found it. This is from Statista. It's a stat website. Uh, (laughs) This is from July 20th, uh, 2021. Market share of leading exporters of major weapons. Uh, Number one on that list, United States. 37% of share of international arms exports. So they ha- they control the market essentially. Well, I don't know with thirty seven percent, but who's the who's the next one down? I wonder. Russia by twenty percent. Follow and oh. there's a big fucking dip because the third would be France and they're like eight percent. Oh wow! Okay. It so Russia. Well, that's the Cold War. I mean, yeah. that's a takeover from the Cold War. And this is, mind you, yeah. market share between twenty sixteen and twenty twenty. So this okay. is not really old data. This is recent but yeah uh if you want i can read this bomb paragraph here yeah go ahead i'll take the last one okay in the first few years of settlement the indians did little to arouse puritan anger their sachems uh, is it sachems or sachems i pronounce it sachems I'm probably going to say Sachems, too, from now on, but it's basically like a chief of sort, like the paramount tree chief of a tribe of Algonquins. So pretty much like a leader, Uh, also called a Sagamores, but I'm going to say Sachems, Uh, unless somebody can correct me on that. So, their sachems made overtures of friendship, supplied the colonists with corn during the difficult first winter, and eagerly engaged in minor trade. One Puritan leader recounted his surprise that during the first winter, when Puritans had scarce houses to shelter themselves and no doors to hinder the Indians' access to all they had in them, where their whole audience, weak wives and little ones, lay open to their plunder, yet had they no food or stuff diminished, neither children nor wives hurt in the least measure, although the Indians came commonly to them at those times, much hungry belly, as they used to say, and were then in number and strength beyond the English by far. So... I mean, that's sad, man. That's sad as hell. You basically Mm. have the native people doing like humanitarian work at this point yeah mm-hmm. to people to people who came to their country <laughs> yeah and this primary source too check this out you know i'm a history teacher so this is very fascinating to me because this primary source um what you just read was from a puritan leader 
So it's from the others. So it's from the Puritans themselves. And they're saying, yeah, that first winter, the Indians, man, they had access to our homes. They had complete access, yet they didn't take anything. They, they, did, they didn't hurt us, you know? So that's why I said that's sad, because this is most likely true because it came from a Puritan. Because you would think, well, the Puritans, they would want to lie, right? So yeah, that's why that's so sad, because I'm trusting that this is true. And, he's, and so this primary source is saying, the Indians, yeah, they didn't hurt us, even though they could have 100% plundered us. Yeah, and these fuckers have the nerve to go on to steal more corn and fucking murder them. Yeah. Damn. Even if, like, you could make an argument that for the native people that they had maybe some self-interest, because we've, we've come across this before, right, where... Like the Algonquin speaking people show up to essentially save these starving settlers. And part, and there is like a reason, like politically, yeah. that they kind of provide this counterbalance to like rival peoples. So if I'm not mistaken, like the people helping them out are Massachusetts, right? They're Massachusetts natives. They're a part of the Massachusetts tribe, right? They're helping the um, Puritans. I think it, I think it was the Wampanoags who were um, who allied briefly with the English because they were beefing with the Narragansett's tribe. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's right. But anyway. You could argue that, yeah, there's some perhaps self-interest in that. But that said, this is self-interest aside, this is massively generous, especially given the tensions that existed for years between the English and the indigenous people. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Well. What pisses me off so much is that think about these different cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and this really pisses me off because you think about these Puritans, their cultures, and you think about the culture of these Indians. When the access to the Indians uh, or this this tribe, this culture's tribe, I guess you can say, Mm -hmm. when they have access... When the Puritans have access to their lodging, their habitats, the Puritans steal corn and shit like that. But when the when this tribe at least has access to the Puritans, they're like you said, humanitarian. Mm. And so maybe it's just also different cultures because the English, perhaps they were more warlike, regardless if they were pilgrim or Puritan. Yeah. I think that's a good yeah. point. And I really think that's a huge, huge makes a huge difference because um, I think you, us in the United States of America today, we're a warlike country. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Are you kidding? Like fucking 
parents like will attack children at like school sports games yeah. <laughs> or shit. Of course yeah. we're warlike. <laughs> like we're the world's largest seller of weapons. We <laughs> more large seller. There you go. They, and that's that's a fact. I mean that that that's not just and that's not anecdotal evidence like you mentioned about the soccer, but that's a, a cold hard fact that that's you can data. point to. Yeah, data. Yeah. And so it's interesting because hypothetically out there somewhere, what if a culture is not based on that? Would they be like that? So it's very interesting to imagine different possibilities of how different we could be, how we can make this country better. Yeah, not great again or great. You know, those dumbass words and those dumbass thoughts, but how we can make this country better than what it is. And I think one part of that is getting rid of this warlike attitude that we're seeing from the founding of this country, the founding of, well, I should say the founding, I think, of American values rather than the actual 1776 founding, because we're not there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also... This might be a little tangential, and before you finish off that last paragraph... Yeah. So when I was kind of l looking to uh, not only pronounce, but also define what a sachem was, and that is assuming I'm pronouncing it correctly, yeah. uh, the sachem and sagamore are anglicizations of cognate terms that come from a bunch of different eastern and central algonquin languages and there's right. actually a list here and granted this is on wikipedia so bear with me on that there's a lot of different languages that kind of describe this word that we use sachem to describe the paramount chief of these algonquin peoples and okay. a sachem is elected by the people they're chosen by single bands to represent them. And the sachem is chosen to represent a tribe or, oh no, excuse me. Uh, Sagamores are chosen by single bands to represent them. And the sachem is chosen to represent a tribe or group of bands. Neither title is hereditary, but each requires selection by the band. So there's, there's some full on democracy going on here. Yeah. And another thing I also kind of want to point out too that I think is cool is that when it lists the particular languages that are you that have their own unique word for a sachem. So, for example, if you want to say the uh, Mi'kmaq word for a sachem, you say like a sakama. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to use the Western Abnaki word, you say sogma or sogma. The Wanguk Sequin. Um, and these are just like in the Eastern Algonquin. And I'm getting to a point here that might be tangential, but I think is pretty helpful to keep in mind. In the Central Algonquin language family, uh, you have the Ashinabe way of saying it, the Ogima, the Algonquin Ogima, the Ottawa, the Gima, and Potawam. I'm trying. Please bear with me. <laughs> Potawatomi, the Wegema, and it kind of goes on for there. But I, the main thing I want to highlight here is that even though obviously we're using the anglicized version of these names, these are coming from languages that 
are not extinct. They're still around. Mm. The, the articles listed for these languages are not in the past tense. Like, for example, for uh, the Abenaki, the Abnaki language, right? This is an Algonquin language that's spoken mostly in Quebec and northern parts of New England. It's not used in the past tense. And right. I'm raising this point to kind of, I guess, remind ourselves and the audience that these languages aren't gone. These native indigenous languages are still here, even if they are marginalized and endangered. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to bring that up. It's very tangential, but I think it's something to walk away with the fact that, hey, these languages aren't dead. These people are not extinct. And well, it would maybe behoove us to research more about native languages and groups in the future. Well, I like to think of it in terms of Cassius Clay versus Muhammad Ali. And what I mean by that is call me by my name. Mm. Think about this. Think about this. Why does Japan exists because the Japanese names for Japan are Nippon and Nihon. Why can't we call Japan in English Nihon? Why can't every single why can't every single language in the entire world call Japan Nihon? What's so hard about saying Nihon? You know, and and what does Germany call itself? What Deutschland? Deutschland? Deutschland. Yeah. Why can't we? Everybody call it that. So why does there? Because we learn the names. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, yeah, sir. Yeah, we'll all all languages, for example, will have a different word for tree. That's cool. But actual names? Come on, man. Let's call it what it is i think it'd be cool calling japan nihon you know that'd be awesome yeah or china as jungle oh that's how it's pronounced i'm probably fucking it jungle? up a little bit because i can't speak i Andrew. actually like that more than china yeah but what what a mandarin speaker will probably correct my pronunciation but jungle yeah. is basically how you say the word china jungle. yeah i like that better than china because why can't we all call the, a country the same name no matter what language? That just makes sense. Call me by my name. That's right, man. I'm not Cassius Clay. I'm Muhammad Ali. And if you call me that one more time, you're going to get a jack face for free, <laughs> bitch. But yeah, <laughs> I wanted to bring that whole up because I'm like, I would like to encourage not only ourselves, but our audience to look into, you know, like, hey, learn more about the the native peoples that... Mm not only lived here past tense, but still live here present tense. And the, the more you realize that they are different in a way. There's not one Indian, for example, tribe. They're all different. Mm-hmm. But to these mother, these English dudes, they all look alike. <laughs> Do you have a license to exist? So... This is going to take us home here. All right. So, this last paragraph to end, on, end our 
podcast today. This state of coexistence lasted only a few years. Smallpox struck the Eastern Massachusetts bands in 1633 and 1634, killing thousands as far north as Maine and as far south as the Connecticut River Valley. The colonists believed that this was proof that God had intervened on their behalf at a time when the land hunger of the settlers was causing friction over rights to land, foreshadowing for what next week. The town of Charleston, for example, state that, quote, without this remarkable and terrible stroke of God upon the natives, we would with much more difficulty have found room and at far greater charge have obtained and purchased land, unquote. Hmm, God, huh? Ah. So, God loves indiscriminately killing people. Well, if you look at the Old Testament... (laughs) He does that a lot, sometimes indiscriminately, and sometimes very discriminately. Kind of... I can't blame these people for believing that, then. Yeah, again, these people don't know what the fuck germ theory is. Um, Can't imagine what it's like for them to, like, take a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Or how they clean up after that. I'd rather not think about that. Oh, dude, don't even get me started with that today. Oh, you know, I'm just going to say this. My own personal experience today. (sighs) My place of work. I went to the bathroom and the toilet wouldn't flush. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Check this out. The fucking toilet wouldn't flush. You turn on the faucets and they're barely pouring out water. And this is the way it is throughout the entire building. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, shit. So I leave that bathroom. I look around and I make a mad sprint to leave. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not taking this ain't my fault. Because I would have flushed this shit if it would have flushed. So. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> wow. This they, conver- try, well, here's the thing. It gets more dirty. I don't mean sexual or anything. I'm just saying it gets more, like, filthy, dirty. Not sexual. Don't, don't read into that. But it gets more dirty. But I'm not going into that. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So... But, uh, yeah, I think we reached our end point for today. Yeah. And then we're going and so that was basically a uh what I just read to you, that last part was a foreshadow for what we're going to talk about next week and the question of land and also the peak war. The peak war. So, and that will con- yeah. And that'll in next week we'll conclude our um series on the Puritans and the Pilgrims and religious freedom what was the result of this american value so yeah i think it further helps deconstruct the idea and allows us to walk away with better understandings of how we conceptualize freedom and liberty yeah and i think it would be helpful to maybe summarize everything that we've read to the best of our ability yeah absolutely so We've largely covered in this episode the relationship between the pilgrims and the native peoples, specifically yeah. the Massachusetts tribe, the Wapanogs, uh, and many others. Mm-hmm. 
and it's the, Pilgr- uh, the pilgrims and the puritans but first the pilgrims yeah and it's kind of bad actually it was kind of it was very bad well what we see with the pilgrims relationship is it starts off well mm-hmm. right but the more settlers that come into this plymouth college the more violent it gets i mean and we're talking gruesome violence like we're talking impelling heads decapitating heads yeah right? kidnapping slavery the spreading so, of disease, yeah. which is a mm-hmm. huge, huge impact. Remember, it kills like three quarters of the native yeah. population mm-hmm. for the most part. And it's like that, too, uh, when the pilgrims even it's, it's going on, too, when the pilgrims arrive in 1620. Yeah. And by the end of this in the 1630s, it opens up the opportunity for these settlers to more easily acquire all this land. Mm. And and these new settlers coming in are the Puritans. Yeah. They're joining this colony now. And even amongst the Puritans, there's a lot of like contention with how things are being done. Like with how, you know, John Robinson was pointing out that albeit he was doing it in a way where it was very I guess patronizing because even Mm. he also had that concept of english superiority yeah Uh, because he did describe the the indigenous people as barbarous and poor um (laughs) even he was like hey yo this is pretty fucked up uh yeah can you can somebody maybe like stop like all this brutality and shit yeah like, is this how we're, we Christians are supposed to be doing? So. Well, and then um, the Puritans come later in the 1630s, and it seems to be they have a different mind. They want to convert people, but it seems to be a smokescreen behind which um, they can exclude the Indians from their uh, religion and their living places because they don't even try to convert them for 13 years it says here in the text no they pursue violence and well not yet so far the purity oh that's right not yet yeah we're gonna see uh but uh foreshadowing here we're gonna see conflicts over land so we're gonna see that and what is going to be the outcome of that in our next episode. All right. So we learned we learned a lot today. Not just in that first hour, but a lot in the second hour yeah. as well. So do you have any closing thoughts that you want to contribute before we conclude this episode? Um well, what we should do right now is plug our uh Twitter cuz oh, I'm I'm yeah. going to make it a mission to be more active on Twitter. Um which is weird because I've never used Twitter before, but yeah. I really want our show to grow because uh, we are awesome and we are providing the people with real shit. <laughs> you if you know need help with the Twitter stuff, let me know. Even though okay. my hands are kind of full, I'll do what I can to help you out. Yeah. No, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hell yeah. 
And uh, so we've got a Twitter. Um, we So plug our email and our Twitter. All right. So our email for all you eager beavers out there <laughs> is, brr, let me pull it up because it's very, it's a very good email. Martin and cornbread at gmail.com. So feel free to shoot us an email, whether okay. it's some input, whether it's any questions, whether it's a death threat, uh, by all <laughs> means, send it to us. We will be happy to read them. Um, Does it matter if anything's capitalized? Nope. It's all okay. lowercase Martin okay. and cornbread. It's all one word too. Martin and cornbread at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at ministry modus and just to reiterate you can find us at twitter at at ministry modus all one word all lowercase or you can just type awesome. in ministry modus and we're there too <laughs> yeah. and shout out to our one follower on twitter i know who they are <laughs> and thank you <laughs> awesome well thank you yeah thank you all right Okay, well, if you have nothing else to add, I think it's a good point to wrap up here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you once again for joining us this week for this very fun episode of Ministry Modus. (laughs) We're probably going to continue maybe doing this format where we talk about uh, current events or some news or some kind of stories before we get into the main topic. Because that generates a lot of discussion. And I think with last week, we were actually able to tie some of it together with what we were discussing, like with cancel culture. We made some connections there unexpectedly. And um, after our series, which next week we'll be concluding uh, about about the Puritans and the value of freedom... Or liberty, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it'd be a do- good episode to be do critical race theory. I can't wait to do critical race theory. That's gonna. Um, be I'm gonna. Too. I'm gonna. Du- I'm gonna dust off some of the uh, the books from my uh, undergrad and my master's program, and um, I'm gonna look for some recent, more recent uh, articles about it as well. I mean, I've already, as a teacher, I'm familiar with it a little bit. Um, but I want to know as much as I can. We're going to be talking. That's right, folks. Right after we get done with the <laughs> Plymouth colony, we're going to be talking to somebody who has been thoroughly indoctrinated by <laughs> the vile Marxist teachings <laughs> of critical race theory. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us again, everybody. Again, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Ministry Modus. And feel free to email us at martincornbread at gmail.com. And we wish you a great week. Au revoir. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios. Peace out.